Epiphany Church in Ligonier, Pennsylvania. On Friday a thief, on Sunday a king, laid down in grief, but I woke with the key to hell on that day, the firstborn of the slain, the man Jesus Christ laid. Welcome to Epiphany's Sunday Sermons, a podcast ministry of Epiphany Anglican Fellowship in Ligonier, Pennsylvania. Our church exists to help people discover and rediscover the love of God in the Christian gospel. To learn more about our church, visit our website at epiphanyligonier.org. This is a story about control, my control, control of what I say, control of what I do, And this time, I'm going to do it my way. I hope you enjoy this as much as I do. Are we ready? I am. Because it's all about control. Control. And I've got lots of it. Anybody recognize it? I I didn't think so. You guys aren't really children of the 80s here. Um, uh, These are the introductory words to Janet Jackson's album, Control. Okay, I I see a nodding head now. Okay, I know who the hit person is in church. Um, And uh, this album came out in 19... 86, and uh, the, the title track is Control, and the album is Control, and it comes to us from the brilliant mind of Janet Jackson. This is Janet Jackson's uh, third album. It came out when she was only 19 years old, uh, but she had been through a lot by the age of 19, Janet Jackson. I don't know if you know this. Um, the Jackson family, right? You had the Jackson Five, and you had Michael Jackson, you had Janet Jackson. Um, the father of that family was kind of a controlling um, narcissistic manipulative jerk and that's kind of a nice way of saying it and he uh, from a very young age Janet Jackson is the youngest of the um, what is it seven Jackson kids in that family um, she was the youngest child and her father had dreams for her stardom as well and so you may have known Janet Jackson was a regular on the TV show Good Times you may watch Good Times here or um, she was had a reoccurring role on the TV show Different Strokes another show and Janet was forced in her teen years to produce two uh, records, two albums, that she didn't even like or want to do. Her heart wasn't in it. She was doing it because her dad made her. Her dad was her manager and was um, forcing her into it. And so it got so bad for Janet that at age 18, she married another musician just to get out of her family's control, only to have the marriage annulled less than a year later. And she fired her father as her manager, found a new manager, Uh, found some new producers, and they helped her create this album called Control. And this album didn't just go, of course, uh, platinum or double platinum. It went uh, pentuple platinum, five times platinum, selling 10 million copies worldwide. This is a story about control. And there's something about control, right? Wrestling the trajectory of our lives out of the hands of others, putting them into our own hands. It's a very attractive proposition. I think when 10 million people have bought a musical album about being in control, about being free from the outside forces that are holding us down, um, when, when, when we talk about 10 million people buying the album, we might be justified in thinking that there's something deeper going on there. You know what I mean? Like, like maybe um, when 10 million people are buying an album about control and freedom, We might justifiably think many of them resonate with ideas of being captive and powerless and weak. 
I think Janet Jackson was able to tap into this feeling of her past, of being oppressed, of, of, of not being able to do what she wanted and having this father figure who was not great for her. And she was able to tap into that feeling and put it to music and the world paid attention in a very real way. And so conversely today, Janet Jackson is gonna help us talk about weakness today the opposite of control in many respects, because Janet Jackson may have control and lots of it, but most of us here on church uh, this Sunday morning, for us, that's not the case. Um, we're doing this sermon series. We've been debriefing all of the great themes of the past year and a half, right? We're calling it the divine debrief, the gospel in the age of COVID-19. One of the key themes of this season that has been brought forward from my perch and my perspective, I think, is weakness. Weakness, and it's one of the hardest lessons that anybody can take from this past year and a half, because the circumstances of our time together have maybe revealed things to about us and our weakness that we may not have liked. Maybe we're not as powerful and independent as we thought. Maybe our life um, is a little more interdependent than we recognized. And whether that's a happy season or a sad season, um, maybe we aren't as in control of our destinies and our lives as we had originally thought. Um, there are a lot of ways that this pandemic has exposed our weakness and the lack, our lack of control in our life. You know all of it. I don't have to be, spend much time here, right? The closed restaurants, the bare shelves at the grocery store, the canceled vacations, right? Uh, toilet paper gets all the attention, but also, I don't know if this was for you, I couldn't find like baker's yeast for three months, right? It's like, I just wanted to brew something with, with my home brewing and, and I couldn't find the yeast that I needed. And uh, not only that, it was that, and it was um, nitrate-free bacon. I wanted to try some nitrate-free bacon. And there was like four months, I couldn't find bacon without nitrates in it. And, um, well, I think it says more about my diet than the supply chain issues. But, but even now, right, it's supply chain issue season. Everyone's getting very anxious about supply chain issues, right? Christmas and Thanksgiving are coming. And I was told recently um, that the stores would not have enough turkeys. Oh, it's the turkey apocalypse for Thanksgiving. There won't be enough turkeys because of supply chain issues. And uh, I should buy one now and stick it in my freezer. And if it's the local news telling me this, I'm kind of like, yeah, okay, you're a little fear-mongering. I don't need to buy a frozen turkey right now. But, but when it's your in-laws telling you this and they're coming to your place for the turkey this year, you buy the turkey, <laughs> right? You know, you put the turkey in the freezer. So um, I now own my turkey. But, but the weakness exposed to the pandemic is, yeah, supply chain issues, but it's much, much more than this. Maybe we felt weak and powerless because we couldn't persuade someone close to us to change a political or a medical opinion. Right? Uh, maybe we felt weak and powerless because our jobs changed so much, we felt like we weren't able to rise up to the challenges that presented. Maybe we felt weak and powerless because we have employees working underneath us, and when our employees went home, we couldn't monitor them on a daily basis. Are they just you know, goofing around watching Netflix while they're on the clock? I don't know. Maybe we felt weak and powerless because we had a medical matter come forward and we couldn't go to the doctors about it. Someone I know who was close to me developed an abscessed tooth at the beginning of the pandemic. And that's when dentists were like, no, -uh, no, sir, I'm not taking any patients for a while. Excuse me. And um, this poor person, this poor person in my orbit, their tooth was so bad that, you know, pain just down the neck, up the face. I mean, just terrible, terrible. Uh, could barely eat. It took him um, over a month and a half to find a dentist who would actually give him the procedure to help him out. Those are just some examples. The pandemic has exposed this in all of us in different ways. I think if you think about it, you can see that your own life, you had moments of weakness where you felt out of control as well. 
And the world solution to this, by the way, is the Janet Jackson solution. Control, and lots of it. Power, control, independence. When we're confronted with our weakness, our desire is to respond by getting stronger. You know, what is an enraged, unmasked customer at the grocery store caught on video, but someone trying to exercise control over their own powerlessness and weakness in a particular situation? What is our political rancor but an attempt to claw and clamor at some sort of power to change the world how we think it should be because we feel powerless and weak in that moment? But one of the Bible's consistent and reoccurring themes is that weakness is not so bad. Weakness isn't so bad, right? Uh, our world doesn't view it that way, but the Bible says, look, weakness isn't so bad, saith the Lord. <laughs> Uh, it's hard to miss if you've spent any time in the Bible, right? Think of Moses. When Moses is called to lead the people of Egypt, Moses, at that point, a murderer on the run. Moses, at that point, a betrayer to his people, whether they're the people of Egypt or the people of Israel. Um, Moses, the person who is perhaps, um, he even has a speech impediment. The text says he's a stutterer. He can't public speak. And God's like, yeah, I want you. <laughs> You're the one I'm going to choose to lead my people out of Egypt. God chooses a person who is weak. If you go to the book of Judges, maybe you remember Gideon the judge. Um, Gideon the judge, God's calling him and saying, I want you, Gideon, to lead my people to fight back the Midianites. Uh, I want you to be the judge to lead the armies. And, and, and Gideon says, uh, blah, blah, blah. Um, he freaks out and he asks for God for signs over and over again. He says, just give me a sign, give me a sign, and I'll do it. And God gives him the signs, right? He doesn't have enough faith that God has called him, so he needs signs. Think of someone like Samson, right? And you're like, wait a minute, Samson was the strong man. It's like, yeah, he was the strong man for a season. Um, but he may have been strong physically, but he was weak emotionally. And when Delilah is given the secret to his strength, when he is, succumbs to the temptation of romance and his hair is cut, we see Samson for who he truly is, a weak person. Remember, a key part of our story is the David and Goliath story. The weak child with five stones in a sling, no armor, going up against a seven-foot-tall warrior clad from head to toe in armor with a giant spear and sword, right? Um, the, the character in the testimony of the Bible over and over again is that it's the weak people God uses to change the world and to shame the strong. Fast forward to the New Testament in our reading, gospel reading today. John the Baptist is ministering at the River Jordan. He's baptizing members of Israel as part of this ministry of revival and repentance He's preparing them to meet Jesus, but by the time we get to John chapter 3, John has already met Jesus. And he said, John has said of Jesus, hey, this guy's the real deal. I'm here to get you guys ready for when he comes. Well, in our reading today from John, some of John's disciples, right? John is a, a prophet in the wilderness, but he has people studying under him. Some of his disciples run up and they say, John, 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 someone, that Jesus guy that you baptized and told us was special, that guy, he's doing your ministry. He's baptizing people for repentance in the River Jordan too. How dare he? That's what the disciples say. Like, man, what's remarkable about John? John doesn't care about his brand. John doesn't care about his following, right? Jesus says, John, great, among men, there is no one greater than John the Baptist. And John the Baptist in this moment says, um, you know, hey, you know, John, your ministry is being threatened and your credibility is being threatened by Jesus. And John the Baptist says, good. 
My joy is complete. This is great news. My ministry is fulfilled. He, Jesus, must increase and I must decrease. So while his disciples are freaking out, John is very okay with saying, who cares if my ministry falls apart? Who cares if I'm weak? Who cares if my stature in the public drops? What am I going to do, threaten Jesus with copyright infringement for doing my ministry? John is very content with being weak, with having his stature and his prominence fade, especially if it's Jesus doing the weakening. But the most explicit, of course, scriptural reference passage on this comes from Paul in 2 Corinthians, our other reading today. One of the great conflicts um, in that church is that a group of Christians have come to the church in Corinth, and they're very spiritual, and they're very pious. And these are people, they come, to, um, they come to the church in Corinth and they say, look at how great we are. Look how our speech is impeccable. Look at how our prayers. Look at all the spiritual things that happen around us. Let me tell you about my prophecies. Let me tell you about my revelations and the dreams that I have. We're very spiritual people. And they come in and they say, oh, wait a minute. You're, you're a church from that Paul guy. Paul, Paul's a nice guy. But Paul, you know, he, he can get you started, but we're going to take you to the next place. Because Paul, he's, he's not really all that spiritual. Paul, Paul is sort of a, a you know, he, he can't speak like we can. And so these, these um, Paul sarcastically calls them their super apostles, right? Paul calls them super duper apostles. Uh, these super apostles come in and start to say, look how spiritual they boast. Paul says they're boasting about how spiritual and how proud and how holy they are. And they begin to sort of insert under the guise of holiness uh, false teachings about the nature of God into this church. And so Paul writes about this, and he says, look, um, if you really want to know about my spiritual life, I'll play the fool, and I'll do a very foolish thing, and I'll pretend, and I'll boast with you for a minute. He goes through this very long list. Paul is very funny. He says, you want to talk about holiness? I'll out-holy them. You want to talk about who's the better Christian? I'll out-Christian them. You want to talk about who's got the better Jewish pedigree? I'll out-Jewish pedigree all of them. And he goes on to do that. He talks about the beatings, the lashings, the imprisonments. He goes on to talk about, and this is my favorite things, you know, it sounds like a sort of a Southern Baptist preacher, you know, danger from the rivers, danger from the robbers, danger from my own people, danger from the Gentiles, danger from the city, danger in the country, danger at sea, danger on land, danger everywhere. I've been through all of that, says Paul. In toil and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and in thirst, without food and cold and exposure. Paul says, if you want to talk about suffering for Jesus... I've got these guys beat. And Paul says, but you know why I don't talk about this stuff? You know why I don't flaunt my credentials around you? You want to know why I don't sit there and boast about all of these things? He says, look, you want to talk about spiritual revelations. I've been, have, God has shown me the third level of heaven in these crazy visions I've had. And Paul says, you know what I, why I don't talk about these things? It's because it's conceit, it's pride, it's arrogance. Paul goes on to say, you know what? Let me tell you something. I have this thorn in my flesh. It keeps me from being conceited. And I prayed to God about it. Don't get me wrong. I prayed about this thorn in my flesh three times. But I had a word from God about it. What did the word of God say to Paul? Paul says, um, the word is this. My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in your weakness. So in a world that's puffing up holy rollers, talking about their visions and how holy they are and how good they are, how super spiritual they are, these people going from church to church and saying, yeah, no, no, don't listen to Paul, listen to me. 
because I'm super spiritual. In this world, Paul says, yeah, they are teaching you something wrong because it's not about that. It's not about how great we are. It's not about how puffed up we are. It's about weakness. Paul goes on to say, therefore, I'm gonna boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I'm content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul says, I've prayed about the things that make me weak. I've lifted them up to God. I've said, I've been so angry and upset about this particular part of my life that has made me weak. It's pain that comes from Satan. The devil puts it here. He's needling me like a thorn in my flesh. And I asked God to take it away, and God said, no, I'm not gonna take it away. Because when you are weak, that is when I can use you. That is when my power comes forward. That is when we're cooking with gas. And so, like, this is so countercultural to us. I understand if this is like, okay, Brian, you're telling me to be weak now. It's like, yeah, I'm telling you to be weak. It's like, well, that's impossible. And I get it, right? Imagine a world in which we all boasted about being weak. You know, imagine you go to a cocktail party or a fundraiser dinner and everyone's got their dresses and their ties on and martini in one hand, you're just laughing away, but the conversations are about weakness and not boasting. One conversation is, you know, hi, Sam, how's it going? Oh, not so well. I yelled at my wife again last night and she didn't deserve it. And I've been trying to deal with therapy and my anger, uh, deal with my anger and therapy. And uh, this whole in-law debacle I told you about last month hasn't resolved itself yet. And so my marriage is kind of not so great right now and I'm a little scared. Imagine if our conversations were like that. Imagine if someone else is at the cocktail party and they're like, all right, Sam, well, hey, life is hard. I'm with you, man. I, my teenage son took the family car and sideswiped the guardrail and he did enough damage that the car's been totaled and even though it's just cosmetic damage. So now I gotta, gotta find a new car, but as bad as I am with my son, I knew I shouldn't have let him out driving at night. He's a new driver and I shouldn't have let him out at night. So really, I'm just blaming myself for it all. Like imagine if we boasted about our weaknesses and talked about them openly like that. Imagine if our resumes, when we put in resumes for jobs, were actually fully honest and you got a glimpse of the good, the bad, and the ugly all together, right? You know, character attributes, driven, but just the right way to annoy the rest of my coworkers and drive them insane because I don't take any of their input. Um, very creative, but also terrible at time management and easily distracted by YouTube at work. Desperate for positive feedback because I have a fragile ego and if I don't do my job right and I do something wrong at work, I'm gonna hate myself for the next two weeks. I'm good at communication, except in circumstances where the other pers person's gonna be angry at me and then I'll bend over backwards to please them and minimize that conflict. You don't hear Janet Jackson singing and dancing around an album called Weakness. You know, are we ready? I am, because it's all about weakness, weakness. I've got lots of it. It's not the album that gets made. This world of weakness is foreign to us, isn't it? Embrace weakness, boast in our weakness. And yet Paul says that when we are weak, then paradoxically he is strong. Because it's in that weakness where the power of God can rest and dwell in him. So um, two concluding thoughts today about weakness for us. First, again, in this church, again, from my perch as the pastor, all of us have had our thorns over the past year and a half. I've watched and I've heard and I've spoken with you 
And, and, and you've all experienced this great revelation of weakness, right? Members of Epiphany have had their careers thrown in the air and by proxy their livelihoods, their identities in the process. Members of Epiphany have had medical procedures that have shown them the frailty of their bodies. Members of Epiphany have been at odds with their family members, unable to sway them into agreement about how to navigate the last year and a half. And if it's not this, it's something else. We are all weak. I think it's actually of great spiritual comfort that Paul doesn't actually define what his thorn in the flesh is. It's not a literal thorn in the flesh, as if there is a thorn that got under his skin and the doctors can't get it out. That's not what's going on here. He uses a word that means something like a splinter that is difficult to remove. Anybody had that happen? It's really, really painful. And uh, scholars have tried to sort of pierce the veil of history and come up with some sort of understanding for us about what this thorn could be. But the reality is, at the end of the day, there is just not enough data. Nobody knows what this thorn is. And I think that's a gift, because the gift of that is that we can freely imagine any of our own weaknesses as thorns in the flesh. Our weaknesses are like Paul's thorn. The pain may come from Satan. It's pain that keeps us from becoming conceited, but it's pain that God uses for his great power. So the invitation for us this morning is to maybe not fight so hard against this feeling of weakness, but to embrace it. Like Paul says, for Christ's sake, be content with your weaknesses. Insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities, whatever your thorn may be. As the old saying goes, God's office is at the end of your rope. And so if you're wondering where God is, if you have questions to ask him, or you need answers regarding your struggles, explore where you feel the weakest. It's the first thing I'll say today. Second thing is this, when we embrace our weaknesses, we are most like Jesus. Fewer things are weaker than a crucified person who has been beaten and lashed 39 times with a bullwhip, forced to drag a solid wood cross weighing hundreds of pounds half a mile uphill. On Good Friday, we find that Jesus is not a paragon of strength, but a paragon of weakness. And some of Jesus' weakness was circumstantial, right? It's things from the outside, right? I mean, how is Jesus in human form going to fight back against the entire sort of corrupt Roman political infrastructure? How is Jesus going to sort of fight the Roman law, right? But at the same time, some of this is self-imposed. If Jesus had spoken up at his defense at the trial, which he doesn't do, if Jesus was able to give himself a defense in the law course, which he voluntarily does not do, he remains silent for most of it, Maybe things could have turned out differently, but they don't. Jesus doesn't fight back. He doesn't run away. He doesn't defend himself. Um, he doesn't even speak at, at certain very important points for Pete's sake. Weakness abounds in the crucifixion of Jesus. But by God's design, it is the weakness of Jesus that leads to a resurrection. And that means something good for us today. Because of your weakness, the thorn in your flesh, you can become an avenue for resurrection as well. Right? Because your weakness reminds you that God loves you thorns and all. And if you can be reminded that God loves you thorns and all, your faith will remain solid. 
Not only this, but the thorn in your side, it makes you useful for God's kingdom. You have a good word about your weakness and thorns that will immediately connect to anybody who has a weakness or a thorn similar to you. You are uniquely positioned to be useful to the kingdom of God by connecting with people, not in ways that we are strong, but in ways that we are weak. And finally, your thorn keeps you focused on Jesus. You may have a thorn or two in your flesh, but if you reflect on that thorn properly, you will find that that thorn points to Jesus Christ, who wore an entire crown of piercing thorns. In this way, we can see Jesus as the prince of weakness, someone who we can identify with. You know the song, right? The one we teach our little children. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. I tell you this morning, it is not just the little ones who are weak. And also, it is not just the little ones who belong to him. So the question I ask for you today and for all of us is this, would you be weak if it meant blessing someone else? Would you display your weakness if it meant that someone else found God's love? Would you, as Shakespeare's Hamlet famously quoted, would you suffer the slings and arrows of outrageous misfortune if it meant a future joy for you or someone around you? For Jesus, the answer is unequivocally, yes. Um, Bring it back to Janet as we close, because the sad irony is that Janet Jackson, you know, wrote this album of control, um, uh, and, um, well, it's, it's kind of followed her through the trajectory of her own career, because Janet Jackson was everywhere in the 90s, right? Um, she had the music videos on MTV. Um, her brother, Michael Jackson, also, I mean, you can't beat him, right? The Prince of Pop. I mean, the, the power pop couple in this family. I mean, my gosh, so much talent. But, but, but they had dominated this pop scene for about two decades, but... If you remember anything about Janet Jackson, you remember that it all came crashing down in 2004, right? You remember what happened in 2004, the infamous Super Bowl halftime show, right? See some nodding heads. Um, The show was with Janet Jackson and Justin Timberlake, her co-performer. And at the end of the show, the, 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 the great big song and dance routine was going to end. And Janet Jackson's costume had a tearaway portion of it. It was going to be torn away and reveal another costume underneath it. But what ends up happening is the famous wardrobe malfunction scene around the world, where Janet Jackson, instead of having the tearaway piece be torn away, parts of her whole costume were torn away, revealing the right side of her chest on live broadcast television for all the world to see. And unfairly, in hindsight, I think most of the blame for this incident fell on Janet Jackson. She was immediately blacklisted from any social media, um, well, not social media because it's 2004, um, social event or media event (laughs) that took place. In fact, that within the next month, she was due to present an award at the Grammys, and her invitation to present was rescinded. Um, Her music videos were no longer allowed on MTV. Her music was no longer played on the radio stations across America. She would go on to record a couple of new albums, but it's really hard to sell records when you're a social pariah like this. For all intents and purposes, this wardrobe malfunction, a matter outside of her control, destroyed her music career, a career that could have gone on for decades to come.
And I wonder if these 17 years later, if Janet Jackson would write an album called Weakness. I wonder if she could write that album. I bet you she could. I wonder if that initial burst of freedom from coming out from under her father's oppressive management has given away to a more nuanced understanding of life. I bet it has. And if Janet Jackson wrote about weakness and it was broadcast over the radio today, I bet you'd go platinum. Because uh, last time Janet Jackson was able to tap into that feeling and put her past into music, the world paid attention. May we all tap into our past and weakness and put it to the service of the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. On Friday, a thief. On Sunday, a king. Lay down in green. Broke with the keys. Fell on that day. Firstborn of the slain. The man Jesus Christ lay. Death in his Church in Ligonier, Pennsylvania.